You're listening to the Sunday podcast from Life Point Church in Santan Valley, Arizona. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. For more information, visit us online at lifepointaz.com. Woo! That's quite the, the intro. I mean, four pillars, boom! That's our series. <laughs> I, I love it. I love the intro. It gets you pumped. Um, so first of all, I just wanted to say thank you to the band. Um, usually, I'm, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Joe Wiegert. I'm the worship pastor here. And so normally I would be up there. You've probably seen me up there before. Um, but I just wanted to give a round of applause to the band. They did a great job. And just proving that they don't need me. Um, we even had some people first time on the team this morning, so that was awesome, David and Melanie B. I wanted to welcome those of you who are joining online and those of you who are joining us in uh, person. Uh, before we get started, we do have a couple announcements. One, uh, Seniors Potluck Luncheon, Saturday, October 29th. Jerry, yeah, Jerry's leading that. He's very excited about it. So go to that if you want to hang out with Jerry um, on October 29th. Um, then we got some awesome uh, things coming up. Worship night next week. Uh, next Sunday night, it's X30. So come to church in the morning, come to church at night. We're going to worship all day. It's going to be really awesome. 630. Um, and then our yearly movie on the lawn event is coming up November 4th. So bring your kids, bring your grandkids, bring your neighbor's kids and your neighbor. Maybe not just take your kids. Um, that was a joke. <laughs> and then, so that's, that's a big event that we have coming up here. It's, a, it's an awesome night to hang out with the family. And then one more thing. Christmas is coming up very quickly. And uh, we have an awesome Christmas program, but we need actors. Actors and actresses. So if you are interested in acting, if that's something that God has put on your heart, um, we're going to have auditions here really soon. So just email me at joe at lifepointaz.com. Joe at lifepointaz.com, and let me know that you're interested, and we'll let you know how that goes. All right, let's pray and get into the Word. Dear Lord, we're so thankful for you. We're so thankful that you love us. We're so thankful that you call us. We're so thankful that you, Lord, that you're faithful, that you saved us. Lord, apart from ourselves, nothing that we did that you tore the veil and you invited us into your family, into your presence to know you. You gave us your word. And so this morning, I pray that you would uh, convict our hearts to movement. Lord, that we would leave encouraged to move more towards you. Lord, just bless this morning and speak to us in a way that only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're middle, in the middle of our series on the four pillars here at LifePoint Church. These are the things that, as a church, that we value and are our identity. So Pastor Blake kicked it off two weeks ago with community and uh, what it means to be part of the body of Christ, right? God has placed us in this community. Last week, Pastor Jerry uh, spoke on missions and outreach and our identity in Christ, specifically being ambassadors, being representatives of Jesus and our responsibility in that. Next week, Pastor Tim will be speaking to us about teaching, but today we're gonna be talking about discipleship. Now, 
the topic of discipleship is something that's actually really close to my heart. In fact, uh, the last time I spoke in January was on discipleship. So two in a row with me and discipleship. But turns out there's a lot more to say. And uh, I think we have a really good uh, word from the Lord this morning. Um, So this, this, this value of discipleship, it's not just something that we've pulled out of a long list of Christian values, right? Jesus directly gave this to us in the, in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verses 18 and 20. And I'm going to jump around a lot in verses, so you can follow along in your Bibles or read along on the screen. I do have that as well. Starting in verse 18, Matthew 28, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So we at LifePoint believe that this is a task that Jesus has given us, his body, his church, his disciples, to go and make more disciples to baptize them, to teach them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. So this morning, specifically what we're gonna be talking about is answering the call to be a disciple. So what does it mean to answer the call? The first thing I wanna say is that Jesus didn't go around forcing people to be his disciples. In fact, if you read through the Bible, uh, he does the exact opposite, right? He often discouraged them from following him, lists the reasons why they shouldn't, and dissuaded them. Now, many of these people, we don't see whether they followed or not, but the fact is they said, uh, I want to follow you, and he gave them reasons not to. Luke 9 Starting at verse 57 says, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But that man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. I think when we read this, and especially the first time you've read it, if you haven't you know, read it many, many times over, it can seem really harsh. Like Jesus does not pull his punches here. He's just telling it as it is. And I want to add some context around Jesus at this time. Uh, for those of you who have seen The Chosen, I think they actually did a good job of adding a little bit of details in there that give you some context for Jesus at this time. Because uh, Jesus wasn't just some teacher. Like, we know that, but they knew that too. People took a lot of notice of him. For many, they thought that he was the Messiah. Still others thought that he was Elijah, reincarnated, right? And then others thought he was a prophet. 
So if they didn't think that he was the chosen one specifically, the one to save the Jewish people, right? The coming Messiah. Then they thought that he was some sort of really important person in service of God. At least a prophet speaking directly the words of God. So when somebody said that they wanted to follow Jesus, they most likely had this in their head already. They had in their head that he was possibly the savior of the Jewish people, the Messiah. He began his ministry reading the passage from Isaiah and declaring that he fulfilled it, right? He goes into the synagogue that day, he reads the passage and he said, this is fulfilled today. That's not something that a normal person does. He constantly proclaimed that the kingdom of God was at hand. And so when people called, when he called people to himself or when people said, I want to follow you, they knew that he was special. They had that understanding. They knew that he was different. And so to make this personal today, you can know that Jesus is special. You can know that he is the son of God. You can even believe that he died for your sins, but that doesn't mean you follow him. That does not make you his disciple. Just understanding something in your head doesn't translate into action. It should but it doesn't have to. Jesus is not looking for half-hearted followers with one foot in the world. He makes this clear over and over again. He makes it clear by what he says when people say, I wanna follow you, or when he says, follow him. And in fact, he says it's impossible, right? You're either all in or all out, you can only serve one master. You'll either love the one and hate the other or the opposite. So you cannot have one foot in the world. Jesus closes that out saying you cannot serve both God and money, but you can't serve God and happiness. You can't serve God and safety. You can't serve God and comfort. You can't serve God and drugs or alcohol or some other physical substance. You can't serve God and put your family above him. Right, your wife, your kids. You can't serve God and place them above him. And the truth is we're all already a disciple of something. We make choices every day that tell the world what we are a disciple of. And so when we look at our own lives, what is it that you're a disciple of? Who is your master? Why do you do the things that you do? Why do you say the things that you do? Why do you come to church on Sunday? Why do you X, Y, Z, fill in the blanks? Do you wake up in the morning and say, today I'm going to follow Jesus? Or do you just serve yourself. Um, I want to look at some amazing examples of people that answered the call well in the Bible, both in the New and the Old Testament. So if you want to turn to Matthew 4, verses 18 to 22. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, 
for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So Jesus approaches Peter and Andrew and James and John, right, when they're doing just their normal everyday life, living out their lives the way they had always done it how their parents did it, right? We see that um, at least James and John's father were there fishing with them. Probably how their grandparents did it. Fishing was their, their family business. Obviously how their siblings did it. This was their life. They weren't seeking anything else out. And I think that oftentimes this is how Jesus comes to us when the first time that we meet him, right? We're not looking for him and he just shows up. But it's not about the timing, it's about the, the response. They were living life the way that they were taught, doing the things in their own strength, building up their own world, their own safety, their own money, when all of a sudden they came face to face with the thing in this world that is actually important. Right, before this moment they felt like all these other things were so important. They had to go fish, they had to go do all these things, but as soon as Jesus showed up, they realized, I need to drop everything. When Peter and Andrew came face to face with Jesus, they at once left their nets and followed him. We don't see any hesitation. With James and John, not only did they leave their nets, but they left their father as well. Just jumping right out and following Jesus. In uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, we have perhaps I think an even more amazing example of answering the call to the Lord. This is the, the call of um, Elisha. So Elijah, who was the, the current like, main prophet at this time, uh, the one that had just, he had just had the victory with uh, all the prophets of Baal up on the mountain, and he killed them all. And then he ran down the mountain, outrunning all the chariots. And it's this really awesome moment. And after that, he goes into a deep depression and he pretty much goes to God and says, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. And God says, okay, go and uh, anoint Elisha, right, as your successor. And so Elisha is not just some random person. This is someone that God has picked out. And so God knows Elisha and he knows how he's gonna respond. And so here in 1 Kings chapter 19, starting at verse 19. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied, what have I done to you? Now, after reading the, almost the exact same response in Luke chapter nine to the man saying, hey, can I go say goodbye to my, my parents? Um, it, it's a little bit kind of a confusing thing, what's going on here. And what Elijah says is a little bit confusing, so I just wanted to clear it up really quick. 
um, after doing some research, a more modern translation of this, go back, what have I done to you, might be like this. Hey man, I'm not the one calling you. The Lord told me to make you my successor. If you want to go back and say bye to your family, go ahead. It doesn't matter to me, right? Elijah, if you look at his ministry, he always obeys God, but he's kind of a downer. And so um, in this moment, he's just like, I'm done. I'm just finishing out what God uh, has for me. You can do that. So how we know what is in Elisha's heart is what he does next. Because he doesn't just go back and say bye to his family, right? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and become his servant. It's just, it's just like the craziest, like Elijah comes and he puts his cloak on him and immediately he's just like, all right, I'm gonna go kill all my oxen, right? He was obviously farming, this was his livelihood, and he kills all the oxen, oxen. he burns all the chariots, or the chariots, <laughs> all the plows, and he puts the, uh, the uh, he cooks the oxen on the plows. And, um, and then he feeds it to the people. So there's, there's no going back from this. Right, he can't just undo this. Like he's all in. He made the decision. And in fact, uh, we can see increasingly as Elisha's ministry goes on why God chose him. In 2 Kings 2, 9 and 10, it says, when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? He says, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. Elijah said, you have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said, yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise it will not. And I think knowing Elisha, his eyes did not leave Elijah from that moment, right? I'm gonna see him, I'm gonna see him be taken up, I'm not gonna take my eyes off, I'm not gonna use the bathroom. He knew what he wanted. He knew what he wanted. He understood what it meant. He understood the cost, the lifestyle. He made the choice and he was going to walk in it. So what would it look like today? What would it look like for you to just be all in? Right? God has called you into this new life. What would it look like for someone to be all in? Do we understand the cost? Have we sacrificed our old life to the Lord? The Bible says that we must die to ourselves. That's everything. You know, I was talking to my wife, Heather, this last week um, about the passage in Mark 14 um, where the woman breaks the alabaster flask and pours all the oil on Jesus' head. Uh, Mark 14, 33, let's read it. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. So not only did this woman come in and, right, and pour this expensive oil on Jesus, 
upsetting everybody, right? One, because she caused a scene, right? This is an embarrassing, weird thing to do. And two, because the, as the disciples pointed out later, it's, it was very expensive. They said it was like an entire year's salary, right? That they could have fed a lot of people. They could have fed the poor with this. But she didn't just pour it on his head. She broke the flask, right? She couldn't just stop. She couldn't pick it back up. She couldn't put anything back in this. She can't just scoop up these pieces of glass or whatever it was and and put it back together. It was an action that couldn't be taken back, just like Elisha's action of killing those auction. They both knew what they were doing. They knew what their reward would be. The people who saw this scene not only didn't understand, but they openly did not approve. She did it in front of them anyway, right out in the open. She didn't care. Do you think everybody was happy about Elisha just killing all those auctions? I don't think so. I think somebody else would have made use of those, right? They were upset, I'm sure. When you decide to follow the Lord, to become his disciple truly, you have to count the cost. It will upset people. It'll make them uncomfortable, it'll make them mad. Jesus said in uh, John 15, 18 and 19, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but have chosen you, but I have chosen you out of this world. That is why the world hates you. Now, any time we talk about actions, faith and works, uh, people get a little bit hung up on salvation and and different issues, but I wanna be clear, this is not a matter of salvation. This is not a matter of earning your salvation. You can't do that. Jesus paid that price, and he gives that to you freely. So please do not misunderstand. Jesus paid the price alone, and it is given freely to those who believe and place their faith in Jesus Christ. Today we're talking about following the Lord. And I wanna just think about this for a moment. Do you think that you can follow the Lord without actually following him? It's a silly question, but that's how we actually act lots of times. Sometimes we claim to be a disciple of Christ. We say that we are, right? We believe in our head about Jesus and what he's done but our life does not at all look any different from anybody else. We can see that in statistics across the United States. Every time they do uh, surveys in all these different issues, Christians that proclaim that they are a disciple of Jesus don't look any different from the world. And so you really have to take a look at your own life Jesus said in Matthew 10, verse 37, he said, anyone who loves their father or mother 
more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. If we just think about these, these verses for a minute, this is, I, I'm not interpreting this. This is the words of Jesus. He says, who, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. That's a really hard thing to wrap your mind around. And it really makes you take an honest look at what you value. Do you actually value Jesus above these other things? And if not, not worthy of him? Like I said, Jesus doesn't pull punches. He did not sugarcoat this. What does it mean to be worthy of Jesus? Love him above all else. Take up your cross and follow him. If you don't want to do that, then you don't actually want to be a disciple of Jesus. Jesus is saying that to be his disciple, you actually have to lay down your life, right? It's not just like a three-step program at your church and now bada bing, bada boom, you're a disciple. It's an entire lifestyle. To be his disciple, you have to place him above every single other thing. To be his disciple, you must submit all your desires to him. Now, this is not, a, a perfection is not a requirement for being a disciple of Jesus. Um, even the 11 disciples that were left at this time uh, had their share of failures. Very specifically in Matthew 28, right before he gives the Great Commission, in uh, verses 16, it says, then the 11 disciples, so the 11 disciples, not Judas, he's gone, are left, went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. These guys were not perfect. They even doubted, I don't know exactly what they doubted, but they're here worshiping Jesus and he's about to leave and they doubted. So it's not about perfection. These guys were still his disciples. They were still there following him. This is, it's a call to continual submission. Daily laying down your life at the feet of Jesus and saying, not my will be done, but yours. Elisha dropped everything to become Elijah's disciple. Burning, sacrificing his old life, the disciples dropped their livelihood and their families to be Jesus' disciples. So why do we treat being a disciple like you can just continue living your normal life and add Jesus on top? When it's so clear Jesus himself is so clear that you have to put aside everything in order to follow him. He spends a considerable amount of time making very sure that nobody thinks that they can follow him and still have their own life, their old life. Luke 9, 23, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me forever, for whoever would save his life will lose it. 
but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. One, one more thing about being a disciple is you can't be a disciple without having a relationship with your master. In Matthew uh, 7, 21 and 20 to 23, it says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, your workers of lawlessness. So there's two, there's two important parts. This is one of the scariest verses in the entire Bible, I think. But there's two really t- key takeaways to hear. One, these people did not know Jesus. It says that. I never knew you. And because of that, even though they thought, right? I did this, I did this. Didn't we do all these awesome things? These things are awesome. Jesus didn't say they weren't awesome. He said, you weren't doing the will of my father. You didn't know me, so you weren't doing what I wanted. You were just off doing your own thing, thinking you knew what I wanted without actually knowing me. You know, if you wanted to be, say, Elon Musk's disciple, right? He has billions of dollars, hundreds of billions, actually, in fact, and you wanted to learn how to make billions of dollars and do what he did. To be his disciple, you couldn't just watch videos of him online and maybe read a book about him or that he wrote. Like, that wouldn't make you his disciple. If you went on TV and you're just like, yeah, I'm a disciple of Elon Musk, he'd be like, I don't know that guy. And he'd be like, but I watched all your YouTube videos and I read your book. And he'd be like, that's great, but you're not my disciple. You don't represent me. I don't know you. You can't be Jesus' disciple without knowing him. You have to spend time with him. You have to be willing to give up your own will and your own desires for his. These people are saying, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this? But they're, he's not their Lord. They don't know him. They may look like disciples on the outside, but they didn't know him. They have, may have watched all Jesus' YouTube videos, but they don't know him. They were still serving a different master. When you become a disciple, your life is now about what Jesus cares about, what he wants, what his goals are. Your goals are gone. You're no longer fishing, you're a fisher of man. You're no longer plowing your field, you're a prophet of the Lord Most High. You cannot value the same things that you used to value. You cannot live your life in the same way that you used to. Whoever does not hate father and mother for my sake is not deserving of me. There's no going back. And so right now, like what is, what is the call to action here? And it's that Jesus is calling you to be his disciple. Right now he is saying to you, follow me. 
what is your response? Lord, let me just finish raising my kids, doing this how I want. Let me do this. I don't want it to interrupt this. Lord, uh, right now, my wife, my husband, they're not on the same page. Let me just fix my marriage here and we'll get on the same page and then we'll serve you. Lord, let me just stay in the job that I'm in right now. I know that you're calling me into something else, but uh, I make a lot of money right now and this is where I want to be and this is how I provide for my family and this is how I... Maybe it's even a sin. Lord, I don't want to give up this sin that I love. Jesus is saying, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says, I am the living water. He says, I am the bread of life. I have given my life for you. Follow me. And so what we're going to do right now is if, if you feel called, if you believe in Jesus and you know that Jesus is calling you to be his disciple, maybe this is the first time that you're coming to know Jesus, or maybe this is the first time that you've decided right here in this moment, yes, my life needs to change, I need to be his disciple and not just a part of the crowd. You know, someone that follows him. He had lots of people just following around. They wanted different things from him. They liked what he said. They liked what they got from him, but they weren't his disciples. So maybe today is the first time that you're saying, I truly, I'm going to be your disciple and not just a part of the crowd. And for others, this will be another part of the daily surrendering your life to Jesus. Every single day laying your life down before him saying, today you are my master. Today I am your disciple, whatever you have for me. And so if you fit any, any, of, any of those things and you want to declare that Jesus is your Lord and you are his disciple, I just want you to stand up. And, and some of you, whether you're sitting down or, or standing up, you're, you're just filled with fear. Because it can be a scary thing to contemplate what it would mean. What would have to change? What would I have to do? Because deep down you know that something has to change. That your life needs drastic change. That the truly following the Lord just as Peter did, just as Elisha followed Elijah, would require you to move and to be uncomfortable. And this is a normal response from the very beginning in the garden to react in fear. But we have to remember that it's a sin response. As soon as Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, the first thing that they did was be afraid. And they ran from God because of it. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Anytime that we act or don't act because of fear, it is wrong. So if God is calling you today, stand up and declare that you are a disciple of Jesus. And we're gonna stand together and we're gonna take communion.
So continue standing. I just want to pray over everybody that's standing right now. Dear Lord, Lord, we are your disciples. Let me declare that right now and this point forward, we will follow you. That our lives are not our own. Lord, that you are far more important than anything else. Lord, let your desires become our desires. That your will be done and not ours. Lord, I pray that you would convict our hearts. Lord, anything in our lives that is not of you, Lord, remove it. Lord, we repent and we turn towards you. You are our Lord and our master. So we're gonna take communion together as disciples of Jesus. Taking communion is not just remembering what he's done. It's partaking in it. It's identifying yourself with him. It's saying, I myself die and I take up you, Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we do today. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For when you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so we take it together. Dear Lord, how awesome it is to know you, to follow you, to have a relationship with you. Lord, that you would even call us your friends, that you would call us your co-workers, your ambassadors. Lord, that you would use us in your plans. Lord, that we are your church, your people. Lord, that we have the privilege of being involved in your work. Dear Lord Jesus, may you be praised in our lives. Amen.